From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. The host of Conspiracy Cafe, a very popular podcast, George Freund. I will be here momentarily with a look ahead of what could be in store for 2018. On the conspiracy front, we'll talk about artificial intelligence and the continuing struggle between globalists and the nation state, uh, North Korea, the protests in Iran, the information war, and uh, more, so much more. A second hour, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be along to talk curses, the Kennedy family curse, the Hope Diamond curse, uh, the curse of the James Dean's death car, which he nicknamed The Little Bastard. A few programming notes. No live YouTube stream tonight. Uh, that returns next week. Ryan and Albert are on uh, are off this week. And uh, just a reminder, my new podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, has been up and running now since early December. New episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn, or you can just go to the website, ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com Well, 2017 made me dizzy, quite frankly. How about you? Mostly in a good way. 2017 was the year the nation-state started to fight back in earnest against the globalists, both in the U.S. and in some parts of Europe. Some disturbing trends as well, particularly in terms of the mainstream media and the information war and the clamping down on free speech, particularly at colleges and universities. So, what lies ahead? George Freund is a fiercely independent investigator and researcher and blogger. He's also, again, the creator, host, producer of the award-winning podcast, Conspiracy Cafe. George Freund, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Oh, very well, Richard, as always. We were debating off-air whether it's too late now. Here we are, January 14th, to be wishing people a happy new year. But you said no. It's whenever the happiness arrives, so... Exactly. Sometimes, you know, if it comes by carrier pigeon or something, it could be slightly delayed. <laughs> well, this is our first uh, chance to chat in uh, 2018, so a happy new year, nonetheless. Uh, how would you characterize, just, we're going to focus mainly on the year ahead, 2018, uh, but just give me your, your a thumbnail sketch, your overall thoughts of, of 2017. Well, overall, 2017, I think, was the start of uh, a major, major conflict between the globalists and the non-globalists on the international world stage, and uh, this battle for dominion over the planet Earth, the people, the resources, the finances, and uh, it's coming down to a head because we've never had any competition before. It was always uh, a fixed game, and uh, you know, no matter where we went or what we did, the cards were marked, the dealer was crooked, and uh, we always lost. But now we have a new uh, chef in the White House, and he's making some interesting broth from time to time that really puts these people on the run. And uh, it's going to be a, a it's going to be a competition. He's quite the competitor overall, President Trump, and I think we're going to see him go to mm, perhaps extremes. Isn't the best word, but uh, things that uh, are going to really rock the house down. All right. So 2018, you have described uh, something called a coming world information war. So we're not talking necessarily World War Three. You call it World Information War Number One. Explain. 
Well, Marshall McLuhan uh, coined the uh, idea a long time ago where he said, you know, the World War III will be a guerrilla information war with no division between military and civilian participation. And in all these years, uh, we've seen a manifestation of a power elite, a thought control mechanism in mainstream media that just completely sets the standard on what people think and believe. And unless they get their guidelines from the mighty oracle of the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN, they just have no ability to form a thought or an opinion unless it's backed up by uh, this type of media cartel. And uh, there's a lot of us that realize we're being taken advantage of. And people are, you know, just basically throwing humanity under the bus and carrying off with the destiny of the planet Earth with us, you know, not even understanding what the dust from the wheels that take off are about. But a lot of us are gathering that information, and we've become the civilian participation that McLuhan talked about, that we're saying that, hey, something's wrong here. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm being sold the... the proverbial taxi, uh, you know, the yellow primer paint, and someone's telling me it's a good used car, and I figured it out. So now we have weapons that we can fight back with, like people will blog, they'll go on YouTube and make a, a, a thing of it, and uh, alternative news and opinion will get out, and it's scaring the power elite because people are making a decision, a choice, a marketplace decision to say, okay, I've heard this, and I've heard that, and I compared it and uh, tested it, and one leaves a bitter, bad taste in my mouth, and I spit it out, and the other one is succulent juices from heaven or something like that, that this is the truth, and it's taking me in the right direction. It's exposing evil cronies who control, uh, whether it's the political spectrum or the newsroom or the business world, and we're seeing them for what they are. We're seeing that the emperor has no clothes, and now we're saying, okay, I'm subject to the law. That's supposed to be a universal thing in the United States that we're all subject to the law. Why are not these elites subject to the law when it comes out that maybe there's been some graft, some corruption, or stories of abuses, whether they be sexual abuse or just taking advantage of people in the marketplace and basically enslaving them to minimum wage jobs Will they run off with the treasures? I think people have had enough, and they're saying, we're going to make a difference. And that's the important thing that they really have no control over. They can try to pass laws to restrict thought or opinion, and they can eulogize something called fake news, but uh, the truth will rise to the surface in any type of open and free debate, and that's why they restrict open and free debate, because if we present our cards on the table, face up, and uh, openly and sincerely, even if maybe not to the best quality of like the guy who wears the suit who's on the evening news, but we get the truth out there, people can recognize the difference, accept it, and that will mollify them and change the opinion cartel and hopefully bring world peace and a, and a civil government that's of, by, and for the people. Well, these news readers uh, almost are the new priests uh, it, it, they've been placed on such a pedestal uh, for so many years, but I think 2017 in part was the year many of them were defrocked. But but do you see 2018 perhaps as the year that some of these news gathering services, whether it's what President Trump calls the the failed New York Times or the Washington Post, 
Do you think we could actually lose some of these? I mean, there's the, some of them have failed business models. The newspaper industry is struggling, as we know. But aside from that, just in terms of a credibility factor, do you think that we could see a CNN or an MSNBC or a New York Times actually go by the wayside, if not this year, then very soon? Yes. And we can see that because once the people decide that they're going to change the channel, that's something I've always said since I was even doing shows at that channel, you have the power in your hand. You change the dial, the tuner, you know, the, the, you change your information on an online site or something like that. You have the power to control destiny by just changing the channel. And once you start realizing you're getting poison water, why would you go back to a well that gives you poison water? Climb the mountain. Find the fresh spring with the clear, colorless, beautiful water. Taste it. You can't go back to the polluted garbage stuff anymore. And uh, there's nothing they can do to lure you back, except maybe pay you to watch it, but they couldn't even pay me to watch it. And uh, unfortunately, there is a hardcore uh, number of people that are just so addicted to this. It's almost like a, a drug that they cannot form free, independent thoughts. And, uh, you know, sometimes I laugh and snicker at them at work because, you know, there'll be the odd time maybe I don't change my nameplate on my desk or something like that, and someone will walk by and see another name, and they're confused, like, you know, aren't you George? And it's like, well, you don't know me after all these years? <laughs> so, you, so I look at this as like a test of, of your capacity here that you, you see what the name says, what's written there, and you have to accept what's printed before you, even though your eyes show you there's another person there. And you know who that person is, and you know what the person is about, but you still can't make that quantum leap to accept that I'm me. Just like without this uh, mantra of news, you can have all sorts of evidence to the contrary, but unless you see it in print in the source that you trust, you'll not accept it, and you'll laugh and snicker. But we put these things to logic tests, which is something they don't train young people for anymore, to say, okay, I believe you. I want to believe you. This is your story. But I'm going to test it. I'm going to test it to the laws, maybe, of physics or science, or to the credibility of maybe witnesses who are obscure and brushed off the table to say, well, they presented evidence. I have eyewitness evidence, earwitness evidence, perhaps video or audio recordings that don't jive with your story. So if we're in a court of law and I bring things like this up, well, of course, the accused will be acquitted. Well, in this media trial, the trial of of we the people listening to all this stuff, we found all sorts of holes in your case. And in American law, they have something that's very, very beautiful called the fruit of the poison tree. So once you find one piece of fruit that's poison, you pretty much write off the whole tree and all the fruit is being poisoned, which is a very reasonable thing to do under the circumstance. We're heading into a break in about three minutes here, George. Uh, but before we do, let's just get this conversation started and we can pick it up on the other side. And that is, you, you talk about how these information networks, the news gathering services, are finally going to be exposed as part of the military-industrial complex. How How is that going to happen? And, and I mean, is there going to be a tipping point? Is there one, one news gathering outlet in particular that you think will be exposed? Well, that's coming out now with things like QAnon, WikiLeaks, are, are exposing the fact. And, you know, if this is just a historical record, is we've always had this Operation Mockingbird style. They got yes. caught in the Nixon years, and we're supposed to think they found the Lord, and they're all on their knees begging for forgiveness from God, and everything's going to be okay. Well, that's a very naive approach to think, okay, they let the dust settle, they look to see if anybody's looking anymore, and then they go back to their dirty tricks, 
and they're doing it exponentially greater than, than they did back in the Nixon years to to do this sort of thing. And it, it's just come out as common knowledge, but now with alternative media and alternative thought forums, things that people were unaware of, the fact that like CNN had an intelligence office in the newsroom, just like you would probably have in the old Soviet Union, where you know there's a, a Boris Bedinov in the back just to bonk you on the head and say, <laughs> you can't go there. Right. Natasha, take him out. <laughs> and, uh, and he's gone. And then... Uh, I, I know when I worked in a global building before, I would talk to some of the six o'clock uh, news hounds, and uh, you know, I'd say if I ever even dared to say some of the things you say, you know, the hook comes out, you know, that's it, I'm gone, and never heard of again. They they would you know airbrush you out of history, and uh, that's a sad state of affairs in a country that we're supposed to have belief in that you know we're free and we have free speech and we can put uh, things on the public record if it's true it'll float and if it's wrong or if it's you know fake i guess for lack of a better word it will fall off and sink and that's the end of it but we have to say it indeed we do all right george we'll uh, we'll step away momentarily george freund is uh, the host of a wildly uh, popular award-winning podcast conspiracy uh, cafe conspiracy-cafe.com uh, you can also read his uh, his blogs there as well and uh, when we come back we'll talk about uh, what lies ahead in 2018 including how the sources of funding will either be exposed or killed you're listening to the conspiracy show back with more in a moment don't go away exploring theories uncovering facts and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with George Freund. George, uh, tell us a little bit, of, before we get uh, more into uh, what lies ahead in 2018, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Conspiracy Cafe. Uh, how do we listen to it? How do we subscribe and so forth? We just have to go online and uh, put in the website address, or if you forget it or whatever, you can just punch in my name and Google me, and any place I've ever come up before will be available to you. And old forums, new forums, I'm even surprised myself sometimes if I, because I restore old shows I did at that channel and put them back online since they had a little hiatus for a while. And I even scare myself sometimes for some of the things I said or found <laughs> out in the past. I'm like, my God, I forgot all about that. And... You know, one story that uh, you know comes to mind was the Murdoch Empire blackmailing people in public life to say, well, if you want good stories about your political career or your business uh, regimen, you know, you got to pay the piper. And if you don't, well, then we'll rub your nose in the dirt. And then I look at what's going on today in the world where so many people are being accused of this and that and this and that. And to a great extent, they're just being accused. Nothing's gone to trial. There hasn't been evidence presented by both sides. Uh, you know, we haven't seen any evidence. And, uh, you know, people's reputations are just destroyed completely without the benefit of, uh, of, of a trial. Well, that's the other, that's a, a huge story, obviously, of 2017. And we can maybe talk about whether that trend will continue this year. And that is the weaponization of sex. Uh, now, obviously, there are some serious problems going on in places like Hollywood, in Washington. It is a real uh, problem. It does exist, but uh, it is also being politicized. And as you say, careers are being destroyed on um, on mere uh, hearsay. Uh, and and now, because you know there's blood in the water, 
uh, you know, I think both sides are guilty of this. I say both the left, the right, however you want to characterize them, are using sexual harassment, sexual harassment claims as a way of destroying careers. Exactly. And uh, without benefit of, uh, of something going through a court system, a trial process, an arbitration process, to just, just on the rumor, you know, it's, it's almost like lynch mob justice or, you know, somebody yelling heretic, uh, you know, or witch, I guess he's even better. He's a witch, burn him. And, uh, and we're resorting or going to the lowest common denominator of human form and using, uh, you know, basically all the beautiful advantages of a technological society we have to, to throw the rope over a tree branch or carry someone away. And, uh, you know, not saying that there probably aren't a lot of scandals like that that have been buried over the past, but why now all of a sudden is a lot of this coming to light? Uh, they really went after, you know, this Judge Roy Moore when he was running for the Senate, and, uh, you know, just to tear him apart for all kinds of things that he may have done when he was younger. And, you know, uh, well, let's just pretty much take anybody. I'm sure anybody alive probably did a few things they're not so proud of today, maybe in their mature years when they were a teenager or a young adult. And uh, they grew out of that. It was like a stage or a phase or something like that. So to say 50 years later that we're going to hold you to this uh, uh, model, a pretend model of what we think uh, you should be, is uh, is rather ludicrous. Because I think if we went back through anybody's past, we'd find that, you know, it's not just necessarily like a skeleton, but, you know, you had a few uh, guffaws here or there that you might not be too proud of. Well, I'm not here to defend Roy Moore and... and some of the accusations, uh, you know, if true, uh, absolutely, you know, evil. But a lot of the accusations were about him, a man in his 30s, dating teenagers. And how pe- quickly people forget, Jerry Seinfeld, I was a big fan of Jerry Seinfeld back in the 90s. Jerry Seinfeld dated, was dating a 17-year-old when he was almost 40. And no one batted an eye. Just saying, you know, the... Well, how about... Yeah, the father of a prime minister we have here in this country, marrying a woman who was, you know, probably daughter's age, and siring a man who's our prime minister. Right, right. You know, so uh, as long as you're of age of consent, I don't see that big a deal about two consensual adults getting involved in something or, or aspersions being cast about it. You know, some girlfriends I've had would you could call them cradle robbers because, you know, they were significantly older than I was. But that doesn't make them a pervert or anything like that. It's just, you know, we're consenting adults. I got enough gray hair to uh, do a Grecian formula commercial or something like that. And uh, they just happen to be older. But, you know, if you have feelings for someone, you love someone or this or that, I really don't look at that as, uh, you know, that terrible a thing. Well, so, apparently, if you're, if, you're the right, if you're the wrong political stripe, then it becomes an issue. I, I do. Uh, let me remind uh, listeners that once again, George Freund is with us, the host of Conspiracy Cafe. Again, it's conspiracy-cafe.com. Uh, and how long, how often do uh, episodes drop, and when 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 are they? Well, I tried to do them on a weekly basis. I was really under the weather before uh, Christmas. I picked up whatever plague was going around, and uh, I was having some other problems. So I took a bit of a break uh, from things. You know, I post things and uh, keep people entertained, but uh, I haven't been recording. Uh, you know, for the last couple of weeks, just until I get everything back online. Uh, myself, because there's no sense burning myself out like I've done before. Right. So uh, you know, I took a I took a break like everybody else. You're entitled. 
and I'll start again. Well, I've been doing it for like over 20 years, and uh, you know, just without fail, almost to keep on uh, top of things. One of the other things too, you know, while we were just peeking about uh, Roy Moore, because I just wanted to get an update. But the accuser for him, uh, Tina Johnson, you know, someone set her house on fire and burned her out. Oh dear! And this isn't, uh, you know, the only person that is. This this seems to be like things are getting physical as well. There was a fire at Hillary Clinton's house. Maybe her witch's pot spilled over or something like that. Another uh, server to be destroyed? Another server, yeah. They can't use a hammer anymore. (laughs) (laughs) They were trying to blowtorch it. But (laughs) in in a weak moment, get out of the way, Bill! (laughs) I'm going to burn this sucker. Whoops, the house is on fire. But, uh, you know, these things are... have to be considered that uh, it, it's getting rough out there, that people are getting angry. And part of the reason is, I, I had a saying a long time ago, if we can't talk it out, then in a lot of ways we condemn ourselves to fight it out. And that's why we believe in free speech, so that we can talk it out and never have to fight it out. And uh, But if we muzzle everyone, then sooner or later things can go bad and turn into fisticuffs or even worse. Right. Without that safety valve Without of that free speech, valve. then things can get violent. And, and obviously that was a, a huge trend in 2017, stifling of, of uh, mainly conservative uh, speech on university campuses. Um, what do you see that changing at all in 2018? Oh, no, no, no. I see that being heated up uh, even more. It's like the only card they have to play. And even though it's a, it's a losing hand, uh, they still keep at it for uh, some strange reason. Why? It's, it's hard to understand. But uh, you know, a famous black man a long time ago, Frederick Douglass, said, to suppress free speech is a double wrong. It violates the rights of the hearer as well as those of the speaker. Because... Sometimes we're hard-trenched into a belief system or an idea, and then we find out later it's not so good. Or, you know, we didn't count all the the variables and we made a mistake or we erred. And the only reason we can find that out sometimes is like we put something to a stress test. If I invent something that flies or, uh, you know, does some kind of, uh, you know, work that could be dangerous to humans or something, we'd want it stress tested just to make sure we haven't messed up, especially the economy or the banking system, so that we can find a mistake. But if we don't allow people to speak or, or, or to point out flaws, uh, even though we may find them uh, repulsive, uh, you know, I've known lots of people you could call Holocaust deniers. That's a big thing. There's a Canadian Green Party candidate in jail in Germany over something like that. Well, my grandfather told me his sisters were killed in the Holocaust, and I've met people like that. I don't take offense to it. I just go, okay, well, you know, it's your right to be free to believe what you want to believe, but I was told something different, and I tend to believe something different. But that, you know, Yeah, as odious as it is, I, I, I agree. Uh, on Holocaust denial is right up there as the most, you know, odious of all expressions. Uh, of free speech, um, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm of like mind. I think. Uh, well, I say even if you killed just one, it was one too many. That's right. And uh, you know, like I say, I wasn't born then. I didn't know. I just have to take the words of uh, my grandfather about what happened in the war and who paid what price and how. And uh, I work with a colleague whose father was in one of those camps, a slave labor camp, and used for medical experiments. So you know, we know full well what happened. But, uh, well, that's just it. We don't just have to take people's words for it. I mean, it, 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 the evidence is, you know, it's, there's so much clear. evidence that it happens. So but, that's uh, why it's so odious when these people come out and, and say that it didn't. So that's what makes them look like a fool. If you're an idiot and you go on a public uh, yeah. forum Let them and expose say something themselves. that can't back yourself up, what do you do? You fall on your butt. Everybody that's right. Let them expose themselves. Away. That's right. 
Uh, I want to talk about, uh, we, we mentioned before the break, you're predicting uh, the sources of funding of being either exposed or killed. First of all, what funding are we t- talking about? Well, they're going after all sorts of funding. They're going after funding for, uh, it's like a, an economic war, too. And it's not just, uh, you know, for people who provide news. Like the YouTube goes after bloggers where they changed some of the formulas and how people would get paid out for how many views you had on a video. Uh, you know, I've had incidents where PayPal came after me and said, well, you know, we're not going to let you use PayPal on your website to take donations or anything like that in an attempt to shut you up or put you down. People have been deprived of employment, uh, all sorts of things where they're waging economic warfare to say, well, you know, we're going to label you with something and for that uh, deprive you of an income or whatever, the lowest common. So you're talking about, are you talking about revenue through social media, whether that it's YouTube or... Okay. And it can be advertising for a big uh, conglomerate station where, you know, a couple of big uh, advertisers can come up and they have in the Trump uh, issues and the left-right paradigm in the States to say we're going to pull our advertising and, uh, you know, and basically uh, kick whatever media in the teeth. And, uh, you know, I find that uh, is abhorrent, really, because uh, bottom line is, uh, to live in a free and open society, free speech has to be valuable. When I was a child, we'd say, you know, that you would fight for someone else's opinion or idea even if you didn't agree with it because the right to that free speech is so important. But that uh, is sort of a dictum that's falling off the plate now, and no one really cares that you can have free speech as long as you tout the rhetoric of the hierarchy or the Politburo that is in vogue. If for countries as well, like we look at Venezuela, they're uh, of different opinions about how things should go in the world, and it appears economic warfare is being waged against them. The Bolivar is almost, well, it is. It's well below toilet paper for value, and uh, they've got like 4,000% inflation. It might even be 5,000% by the time uh, the show gets on the air. Uh, it's, it's just abhorrent, really, that people are made to suffer over uh, issues like that. Like if I had uh, a wish, I wish I had all the uh, bitcoins in the world and I'd probably do something weird like buy bolivars to throw all the short sellers out of out of whack and let uh, let the country try to reestablish itself or just give it to them to say, okay, here, pay off your debts. Yeah, but and, don't, in large measure, don't you think the socialist regime has done it to, they've done it to themselves? Oh, well, by and large. This like, is socialism at work. This is the, the, the ugly truth of socialism. I wish all the, the people that the the young millennials that were recently polled, I'm not sure if it was Pew Research, something like 70% of millennials, at least in the United States, say they'd like to live in a socialist country. Well, here here's a one-way ticket to uh, Venezuela. Go knock yourself out. Well, by and large, where countries really fail is because you have corruption in government. And uh, in the socialist country, the fascist country, even the capitalist country, you're going to have leaders that loot the treasury. That should almost be an Olympic sport. And take the money from the people and uh, take it off to various little locales where you can have these tax haven accounts. And uh, some of the poorest countries in the world, even though you might not think of some of the African nations as being socialist, but they have a dictatorial government that just loot the country overwhelmingly. And, uh, you know, you look at how long Mugabe was in power and, you know, how much effort it took to get him out. 
And, uh, you know, hopefully they have a leader coming in now that's going to be sympathetic to the cause of the people, or, you know, maybe they'll just be changing the payee on some of these accounts. All right, I've got to jump in, uh, George. We're going to take a time out. Listen, when we come back, let's switch gears. Let's talk about transhumanism and artificial intelligence. George Freund, the host of Conspiracy Cafe, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. George Freund is back with us, and again, the podcast is available at conspiracy-cafe.com. I imagine they can also subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher Radio and so forth, correct? Oh, uh, no, I don't bother with that. Oh, you don't? Okay. No, no, no. I'm a very uh, low-tech, uh, easy-going kind of guy. By and large, you just come in online, and uh, you can download the thing from my media player. I use Vimeo as opposed to YouTube because they're free speech supportive and uh, don't have the ominous Google cloud behind them. All right. I want to talk about, let's talk about merging man and machine, and... Um, you, you believe, uh, and I agree with you, I don't think there's, I think the genie's out of the bottle. I think we are in a mad rush towards transhumanism. Where, where do you think it's going in 2018 specifically? Well, they've already started, and they're going to go further, and they're developing an artificial intelligence god. And uh, there's even a church been uh, established for this, and you can't have a better understanding of what the beast is. The church is called the Way of the Future. It was established in 2015, and a lot of the Silicon Valley gurus are big on this. People who have worked for, you know, Google, and one of the big chaps, uh, you know, was involved in Uber self-driving cars. Anthony Lewandowski founded uh, this religion, and they look at artificial intelligence as it's going to mass manifest itself to be the godhead of the future. And when we look at the fact that all our devices, all everything has chips in them now. Like if I want to, you know, you can buy a new fridge and there's, you know, chips and cameras in there to go online so you can look in your fridge to see what's in there, your hydrometers, uh, phones, whatever device you have, everything's chipped and controlled ultimately by a beast. The internet of everything. The internet of everything. Uh, The last thing I need you know, I love to argue with this out with atheists and stuff like that because they don't believe in the real God, but they're quite prepared to have an artificially created God that's going to be a machine, and a machine that, you know, who knows what. Like, we shut down the two computers that invented their own language and were talking to each other. And Yes, uh, I read about that. That is That was freaky. Like, where are they going to go? What are they going to do? So when they look at the thing that's called the Singularity Project, where they want to develop an artificial life form to be a life form, a man-created life form that's going to be superior to human beings and will basically be handed by these types of people the keys to the store to say that you're going to control humanity, run the world, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? And what if they say something that's completely contradictory to human life to say, okay, there's 500 million too many in this place. Good night. And uh, we have a new holocaust. This is a god, according to these people, so they would feel that this entity has the ability or the right to do that. Oh, but George, it's all going to be, all this is preventable. It'll all be included in the algorithm. <laughs> but these machines are writing their own algorithms. <laughs> yes. And uh, when they do that, you know, where do we go? What do we do? What do we say? I, I look at uh, the Borg on Star Trek as where this goes. 
is that you have this uh, computer entity that controls a humanoid-type being that's mixed with a computer, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily have to look as ugly as the Borg do, but that you're completely controlled and dominated as a collective. And you see a lot of the things where they're headed in politics, whether it be the Green Movement or, you know, the climate change people or something, where the collective idea, the hive mind, is very, very popular with them. And will it be with their inventions? And will these inventions ultimately try to enslave us, control us? You definitely won't have the ability to move or to get around like you had expected in the past because they may just say, you know, for whatever reason to pretend that we're not going to create CO2 gas, that we shut down the ability to move or cut off heat or turn off air conditioning, that we could make life very, very inhospitable for a living, breathing being where the machines probably wouldn't matter if they had some of the necessities of life turned off. And uh, this this is a, a very, very dangerous road to go down. And they seem to be just throwing off the emergency brake and sliding down this big cliff at full speed and, and wanting to go faster and faster and faster into something they really don't know what is there at the end when they hit it. And uh, once we get there... Well, of course, we probably could never go back. Mr. Putin said very, very clearly that he believes this invention of artificial intelligence like super soldiers is probably more dangerous than nuclear weapons. And he ought to know because he's probably in charge of building their own right. versions. Yes. And uh, so even he's saying, you know, it scares me. It scares me too. George, we've got to take a time out. We'll come back and uh, we'll talk geopolitics. Speaking of uh, Russia, we'll talk Ukraine, Iran, Europe, uh, and more. George Freund on Conspiracy Cafe right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with George Freund. Let me spell the last name. It's capital F. R-E-U-N-D, Freund. And uh, if you Google George Freund, you can uh, you can come across his uh, his blog and his podcast, or you can go to conspiracy-cafe.com. Let's uh, turn to geopolitics, uh, George. Uh, Iran. Now, we, um, we've been witnessing uh, some protests there that I, the mainstream media has been very, very uh, quiet, um, not interested in discussing that, and I guess that's because... It doesn't fit into the uh, the narrative. Uh, this, you know, Iran nuclear deal was supposed to bring some economic relief to the country, but that's really what a lot of those protests are about. Um, people are sick and tired of uh, the mullahs over there spending uh, billions on funding terrorism and so forth. Uh, and also the Iran nuclear deal, the mullahs were supposed to be, you know, these are people now that we can negotiate with, and they're reasonable people, but uh, obviously uh, much of Iran's uh, 80 million souls don't see it that way. Well, Iran is a very oppressive police state, and whether we have a political police state or a religious police state, if we don't have freedom of anything, you know, it's a tyrannical regime. And to to think that, uh, yes, if you want to follow the faith the way uh, many of the mullahs follow the faith, that's your right and privilege. And if you decide you want to be a detractor from that, well, that's your right and privilege too. And uh, you should be allowed to do that. And that's prohibited. So because that's prohibited, it makes a very onerous uh, lifestyle to, to exist under. And many people I know that come from Iran uh, you know, have a tough time uh, dealing with some of these things. And uh, we're seeing a color revolution there. The only thing is that because it's not 
being televised uh, to the extent that previous ones have been televised, like the Ukrainian one perhaps as an example, it obviously tells us it's probably not a George Soros operation. It may be a CIA intelligence agency operation, but it, 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 it isn't uh, the George Soros kind. So that's why it's not being uh, hyped as much, and probably that's a, a major reason why it has failed, because you didn't have that overwhelming build-up to take it uh, over the top. Well, this is one, you know, quite frankly, CIA or not, this is one I could get behind and would support. Uh, I, I would love to see uh, Iran break free of this. This is a horrible uh, theocracy, and they do they spread they do spread terrorism. Uh, and and I, I think if the mullahs were to to uh, to flee, uh, or if that re- regime were to ever crumble, uh, I, the 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 transformation in the Middle East I think would be incredible. And yes. a, a, a positive, a positive, a hugely positive development. But uh, that power vacuum could easily be taken over by, you know, friendly or unfriendly neighbors. Whether Russia would f- uh, move in because they're so close, or the Saudis might uh, try to fill the vacuum. It might even be the Saudis that are behind this uh, attempt at color revolution because they don't see eye to eye on things. And in many uh, stages, like the Yemen war, uh, they're protagonists and they're fighting amongst each other with uh, proxy armies and direct armies for the Saudis that uh, we could see something coming to pass like these missiles that were fired by the Houthi rebels were most likely supplied and uh, built by the Iranians and uh, one almost came down on the capital uh, that and it was intercepted by American technology that the Saudis had but if that missile had landed, we could have been in a situation where we have open warfare between Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, coming up very, very quickly. And uh, so they're high on the list for being uh, someone to try to get a regime change going in Iran as the soft and easy way out of a war. But this conflict in Yemen is uh, absolutely devastating to the people of Yemen. Saudi's waging a very brutal war against these people. Sure, and, it's it's a proxy war, uh, as is Syria, ostensibly. Yes. Not a civil war, it's a, it's a proxy war. But I, I think for me, the best outcome, not just not for me, who cares about me, for the 80 million uh, Iranians uh, would be, uh, and this may be controversial in some quarters, but I would love to see a return to the peacock throne. I think you know the the Shah of Iran at his worst was nothing compared uh, to uh, what the mullahs uh, do that regime over there right now, and uh, and uh, the Shah's son is uh, sitting and waiting in the United States. Um, Iran would be, I think, a, an incredibly pro-Western uh, nation uh, were the mullahs to be ever overthrown. It Let's, was, yeah, yes, it, it was. was. I'm reading a book by Eve Curie about her time going into Iran in World War II. So she traveled all through the Middle East and into Russia to report on things. And uh, the the Tehran she was in in nineteen early nineteen forty forty one is is just they they were like a microcosm. They had Western things, and they also had people who would be more devout Islam, and they all got along. And uh, there was a great pressure to to uh, bring in some Western ideas, like perhaps in clothing, and people are almost you know, unsure of what to do because of, of this change. 
uh, you know, to go to off-the-rack garments instead of things maybe you, you made with your own hands and such. But it seemed to be a very cosmopolitan uh, environment. The Russians were in there. Uh, diplomats from the Free French uh, were in there, and people were negotiating, the Americans, the British, and uh, it just seemed to be a very cosmopolitan city uh, with all kinds of a mix. And uh, so it can happen, it can survive, it can be like that, but uh, by and large these rigid theocracies are, are just brutal, whether it's political like North Korea or Iran. Uh, you know, if you don't have the ability to, to think and move around at your own discretion, uh, you're basically a prisoner. Let me get uh, a quick take on a number of uh, other items here in the time that remains. Uh, you, t- you, you say that we should brace ourselves for more geo-warfare, more fires and storms. Oh, yes, indeed. They're not going to give up on that. The, the agenda for uh, the repatriation of whatever they're doing in California is, is not going to fall by the wayside. It looks like, you know, I, I would hazard a guess almost that we're, we're having a covert war wage because California was very heavily Democrat. And, uh, you know, there, there was a, a large divide. They even wanted to split. And we see a lot of the power centers of big money or big information that uh, really took a beating. And whether that be the international banking islands in the Caribbean with storms, the fires in California, some very high-profile deaths of people collect, you know, connected with the Clintons or the Clinton Foundation, including a family here in Toronto, the yes. Shermans. The Steinbergs uh, died in a plane crash in Costa Rica. These are uh, forces to be reckoned with. Something's happened. And, uh, you know, the cousin's uh, chap from Compass Group died in a plane crash in Australia. Uh, these were major high rollers, funders uh, for one side of what could potentially be a civil war in the United States. And we're seeing all kinds of bizarre things happening to them that just seem out of proportion in the modern era that, you know, modern equipment's going to break down or the, the way these fires were caused. It was like, you know, homes just melted and disappeared, but surrounding area beside some of these homes are intact. So it looked more like it was shot Many people saw like a blue light coming from the sky uh, and photographed things like that, put them on YouTube, that there were anomalies that are hard to explain, that uh, something's been going on. And wildfire I set by satellite? Out. Wildfire set by satellite? Is that the idea? Yes. One of the uh, you know big uh, inventions or something is the little X-37B baby space shuttle yes. has been in the air many times during uh, earthquakes or uh, you know cataclysmic events. And there's been suspicions that, you know, maybe it's being used for something. But, uh, you know, there's not that many people up there that could actually do something. And that aircraft or spacecraft is actually equipped with a laser. I found that out from restoring one of my old shows, too, that uh, was timely with these California fires and looking at these pictures of the blue light coming from the sky. Is someone doing something? Uh, It's highly likely. It just didn't seem to be something that would by accident just or, you know, natural circumstances come into play. Uh, I want to, I, I neglected to mention uh, North Korea. We we should go back to the uh, the geopolitical stage for a moment. And uh, you say there's a good chance for detente in, uh, on the Korean peninsula. I believe so. They've opened the hotline or telephone communication line between North and South. It's been dormant for a couple of years. And part of it comes from Trump pounding his chest and screaming, I got the button. And, uh, you know, he's the policeman of the world. Well, I think Kim Un realizes he's not going to get appeasement like he did with three previous uh, administrations. No, this guy's going to play hardball. And it's either, you know, you take him on 
or you negotiate. And he knows he can't win, and he's probably sane enough to realize maybe we should negotiate and get the best deal we can and call it a day where I can still be dictator of my land and uh, and have a land under me that hasn't been uh, totally destroyed. So everybody's going after Trump for that. I see, too, that there's psychiatrists that are trying to... They're, they're giving up on the Russian angle now, and they want to question his sanity. Now it's Amendment 25. That's right. 100%, apparently. 100% of his family members and 100% of his cabinet uh, believe that uh, the president is certifiable. Yeah, uh, right. You couldn't get to be in his position, whether you love him or hate him, as a successful businessman, if you were completely unglued and off the wall. And uh, the only persons who can you know, lay claim to a fortune like that would be through an inheritance, and then they'd blow it away in, a, in their lifetime, and there'd be nothing left of it. But to, to, uh, to be able to do what he's done, in the business world, is you're at the top. There, there's no one can take that away from you. And then to be able to get into this election, going against all the odds where everything's stacked against you, and winning and persevering and actually claiming the presidency, that's just like parting the Red Sea almost. Well, here's the, well, here's one of the problems with that the narrative that they've constructed, and they've they've sort of argued themselves into a corner. Uh, and that and that is, I mean, the, the critics. Uh, on the one hand, they're saying that Trump colluded with the Russians to win the election, and then on the other hand, according to this biography or this uh, uh, unauthorized biography that just came out, Trump never wanted to win. It was all a publicity stunt. So which is it? Did he collude with the Russians because he wanted to win, or did he not want to win? <laughs> well, we'd probably have to wait for his wife's book about that. But sometimes the cold, icy stares, but in the background, to say, "Look what you got us into," <laughs> <laughs> and then he comes home and. You know, maybe that'll be another book where he's pounded with the frying pan and just say, you know, <laughs> what what another fine mess you've gotten me into, as he used to say in Laurel and Hardy. What do you mean by a time war? A time war? Well, with these computers that we're developing now, these quantum computers, they have abilities to do things that would just defy. I look at it at the, when I look at the economy and you just keep seeing this bubble just inflating and inflating and inflating, and all the traditional things just not coming to play, like that we would have corrections or collapses or something like that. We may see a bubble grow that is just beyond any type of expectation. And these computers may also quantumly, because when particles are interfered with with quantum mechanics, you have the two-slit experiment. When something's observed, they change direction. And they can be in two places at the same time. And uh, even things we do with your show, uh, you know, we're, we're... observing things that may not be observable to other people and that changes the direction of particles and particles make up everything so when you change the future there's a great documentary on my uh, website about uh, the fact that you know existence could be a computer program it's an amazing thing to watch gets into a lot of the research from some of the top physicists in uh, california at some of their best universities so by and large in a nutshell is if you change the future you can change the past. Time doesn't have to be the way we think about it. It's like writing. It can be left to right or right to left. And uh, time can work in that way, too, where if we had an effect on something that changed the future, it could automatically correct the past. And maybe that's what we see in some people who look at things like the Mandela effect, where 
Yes, I was going to mention that. It sounds eerily familiar. Yeah. Yes, where you you know you know something. A lot of them were things that were in the Bible or something, and in that uh, that was a common one talked about. And you know they'd say something like, "Well, yeah, I remember that. That's exactly the way I remember it." And then I you know I look at what it says now, and that's not the way it is. So I went on Bible Gateway because they have like twenty, thirty different versions. And I found most of them were affected by the Mandela effect. And then I found a couple of versions, like the 1599 version or really old uh, things, that were still written in the original way, the way I remembered them. Well, this is sort of the premise of 1984, where you have people going back and, and rewriting rewriting the past uh, in order to uh, line up with the uh, the narrative. Listen, we, um, we have to run. Speaking of a time war, I'm up against the clock here. George, I want to thank you so much. I really enjoyed this last hour. can't believe it's gone so quickly. Uh, well, bless you, my friend, and the time we change, maybe in a way we're time cops, and uh, that's one of my friends uh, coined that phrase a long time ago. And if we do change it, we're trying to change it for the better, to make it an equitable world for everyone. And uh, if we achieve that, then I think the good Lord's going to look down on us and say, a job well done. Job well done to you, sir. Happy New Year again. George Freud. When we come back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley on Curses. Stay with us. <laughs> 